from the big screen to the small screen and everything in between. This is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Hello again and welcome to a special bonus episode of The Screeners. This is Chad. And I'm Daniel. And we're the only two here today because we're the only two that love all the movies, right? Daniel? What happened? What happened? I don't know. We had to get rid of those other slackers. But um, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about uh, Get Out, uh, the writing and directing debut of Jordan Peele of Key and Peele fame. And it's safe to say that this is a bona fide smash hit success. Yep. Uh, I believe the budget was in the under $5 million range, and it's made well over $120 million domestic. So I'll say that's pretty good, Daniel. What do you think? <laughs> I think that's a hit. Yeah. I think that's a hit. Before we get too deep into it, I will say that what we're going to do is give our general overviews, and then we're going to talk uh, very quickly about spoilers. And I would recommend that uh, you actually see this movie. Um, I checked today, and it has a resounding 99% that's on Rotten crazy. Tomatoes. Is that not insane? <laughs> And so I don't check these, you know, I don't check these review sites until after I've seen a movie. And when I, I, I certainly, spoiler alert, I like to get out quite a bit. And so when I, uh, when I went to Rotten Tomatoes and saw it was 99%, and that's the top critics, it's actually a little bit higher than the audience score. This is getting a lot of critical acclaim and um, a very, very uh, good debut. You know, Jordan Peele, a lot of people may not know, is an actual bona fide horror fan. Yeah. So it is interesting that uh, that he started with this. So. With that in mind, let's get into our review of Get Out. You got your toothbrush? Check. Do you have your deodorant? Check. Do you have your cozy clothes? Got that. What? Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might wanna, you know. Mom and Dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked that he's a black man. <laughs> I ain't never seen you like this before, bruh. Meeting families Taking road trips, don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. If there's too many white people, I get nervous. The IMDb description is as follows. A young African-American man visits his Caucasian girlfriend's mysterious family estate. And that's what you get. So IMDb (laughs) wins again. So, Daniel, let's just get your overall thoughts of this movie. Number one, before we get too deep into the movie itself, let's talk a little bit about your relationship. I know it, but just to catch our audience back up on horror movies in general. And then if you feel like this maybe even is a horror movie, if it fits into that category and then uh, give me your thoughts on, on this movie. Yeah. I've said before on the podcast, I'm not the biggest horror fan. Uh, It's probably one of my least, it's probably the, it's probably my least watched genre out of any, uh, out of any Uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't generally just. I just don't don't generally watch horror horror movies. They don't really appeal to me that much. Right. Uh, when I watch them, I, I, I you know Green Room was my third favorite movie of the year last year, right. um, and that's probably solidly a horror movie. I definitely liked Get Out, no question about it. So maybe I need to rethink my stance on horror movies. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but but it's just this movie was incredible. I mean, you can totally tell that Jordan Peele grew up watching all the classic horror movies, just like you said. Yeah. You can just tell. It's it's in the DNA of this film. It's kind of 
this intangible thread through the film that it just feels so authentic to to the horror genre. So I think it is a horror movie. I've heard some people say, uh, is it really a horror? I mean, there's definitely comedic elements, but I think it feels pretty true to the genre. Um, as, as somebody who doesn't watch a lot of the movies, I guess. Um, but, uh, man, I love this movie. Um, it has so many of the classic tropes, but it constantly is subverting every expectation that I had throughout. I, I really, I tried, to, I kept trying to get ahead of the movie, you know? I right. kept trying to, to I, I thought I knew what was happening next. And I was wrong nearly every time. Um, it yeah. just constantly is subverting what you think is coming next. Yeah, and what's cool about that, too, is... Sometimes you actually do get ahead of the movie, but then the way you think that's going to play out, it does not play out that way. Yeah, so it's really, not at all. It's really good. Yeah, it was awesome. And 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 this movie is so freaking funny too. Yeah. Like it's got a lot of great comedy. It the the biggest thing that I took away from this film is how well written it was. Yes. Um. From it, the, the story is so complex and consistently solid. Yeah. Um. And then it balances the humor and the the horror or thriller elements really really well. It will definitely have a lot more to talk about in spoilers, but um. Yeah, I loved this movie. I thought it was great. Well, this is a movie that my wife is a hundred percent out no pun intended <laughs> when it comes to to horror movies and so much so that like she active like if a trailer comes on television she's like she cannot handle it but for whatever reason with no prodding of my own she saw this trailer and wanted to go see this and so i try to we've talked about it on the podcast i try to avoid trailers now I'll usually watch about the first 15, 20 seconds of a trailer, and then if it seems like it's going to be something I want to see, I don't want to watch anymore. That played itself out in this film as well, because I will say the trailer does give away some of the moments that are pretty cool. Now, not big spoiler moments, but but some moments that would have been more effective had I not known they were coming. Anyway, all that to say, she wanted to go see this, and I kept giving her an out. Hey, I'll be here all week. Are, are you sure, babe? Are you sure you want to see it? Because I was, you know, she. I'm telling you, it's not her deal. Uh, but she, she persisted, and so we went and saw this movie together. And she was scared for sure. In a couple of places, in particular, she was grabbing my arm and and didn't want to look at the screen. But I will also say this: she loved this movie, absolutely yeah. loved it. And I think that speaks to the power of what what this movie has going on at a script level what you were what you were talking about Daniel in as much as I would say it's a horror movie now your scares per minute ratio I think yeah. is a lot lower than a traditional Definitely. horror movie but it's very scary or unnerving I guess is the word that I would use for different reasons yeah it's um, just eerie throughout really it's, it's only like a couple jump scares throughout right. yeah that's right but the the way there's something that's happening and we're going to keep this as vague as we can and then we'll jump into spoilers but there's something that's happening in this place and you don't know what it is but in every interaction there's just that camera that lingers a little bit too long or a line of dialogue delivered with a an emotional kind of look 
or nuance in the performance that doesn't quite fit with what someone is saying. And it just is enough to make you feel uneasy the entire time. And and it seems like the only person that knows what's going on <laughs> is the main character, who is uh, Chris. Chris is his name in the movie, and his name is Daniel. Forgive me for the pronunciation. I believe it's Cal uh, Kaluya or something like that. He's from Britain, who does a fantastic job. I mean, the yeah. the whole time in this movie, you are literally saying, "Get out!" I mean, what a great <laughs> what a great naming convention for for the film. But what this movie this movie is interested in lots of different things, and very much like the best pieces of, of art uh, in the, the cinematic universe is it allows you room for your personal interpretation. Uh, I've seen a lot of pieces where people are talking about this as a critique of race relations, of uh, race paranoia, all kinds of different things, and there's certainly the elements of all of those things that are in there. And at the heart of it all, though, is just a very compelling and entertaining and thrilling story. I would have never in a million years expected this kind of directorial debut from uh, Jordan Peele. I mean, at all. But what a great job that he did. And a lot of the performances in this movie are just are stellar. You don't trust the people you aren't supposed to trust, but then it subverts your expectations. And that's the sign of a good director is when the performances are believable and on point and like you said the marcus henderson character who plays the tsa agent friend (laughs) hysterical absolutely hysterical and so uh, i think overall daniel it sounds like we are we are very very positive was there anything else that you wanted to say uh, in general thoughts here before we move to specifics no i just can't wait to see what jordan peele does next i mean I don't know if it's going to be horror or comedy or whatever, but I'm 100% in. Honestly, I never saw Keanu, which uh, was written by Key and Peele last year. Did you ever see that? I did not. I wanted to, but I missed it, and like most people. I, <laughs> yeah, and like I wasn't super – like it looked funny, I guess, but it looked – that's exactly what I expected from Jordan Peele, that type of movie. Right. And and it, uh, the type of movie where I'm like, eh, yeah, okay, looks right. all right. And now I am 100% in. For his career, I'm in. Oh, I'm yeah. going to be watching everything. No doubt. And you know, the other thing is when I, when I saw it, was very well marketed by whatever company marketed this film. Because when you see the trailer, it does make you seem like it's it's probably interested in something different than your typical thriller. But at yeah. the same time, until you see the name from the mind of Jordan Peele, you're like <laughs> – okay, this is just another thing, right? Just another Blumhouse horror movie. But as soon as you see that, then you immediately are intrigued, and it absolutely pays off. I think for sure you should definitely – I'll go ahead and give my my opinion. I think you should see this. I don't know if it's still in the theaters, although I think it is at the time that we released this. But if you get a chance, you should definitely support this movie, although it's it's doing great. um, Because it is unlike anything horror-wise that I think I've seen in a long, long time. It's really funny. It's scary. It's exciting. You really want to know what's going on. It's got a really interesting central conceit. That really does pay off. So for me, I'm a big thumbs up and, and think you should see it in the, th- in the theater. What about you, Daniel? Yes, 100%. If you can still see it in the theater, do so. If not, I think this this will hold up really well on, on Blu-ray as well. Um, for sure. It, it's not, try to see it with a group if you can, even at home, because that'll, that'll be really <laughs> fun. Yeah, you definitely need to see this movie. Yeah, and when we get into spoilers now, we can talk about the uh, dynamic of seeing this with a group, which is which is outstanding. So yeah. with that, let's move to spoilers for Get out. First rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Well, you look nervous. 
Is it the scars? You want to know how I got them? But there's so many places it would never occur to a hawk to hide. However, the reason the Führers brought me off my Alps in Austria and placed me in French cow country today is because it does occur to me. Because I'm aware what tremendous feats human beings are capable of once they abandon dignity. And in the dream, I knew that he was going on ahead. And he's fixing to make a fire somewhere out there in all that dark and all that cold. And I knew that whenever I got there, he'd be there. And then I woke up. Uh, let's start at the beginning here, and we'll walk our way through. Start with the central conceit of interracial couple, black man, white girl, and they're getting ready to go meet the parents, meet her parents for the first time. And we realize that she has not told him, or excuse me, she hasn't told her parents that he's black and he's worried about it, right? So, I mean, I think right yeah. from the beginning, this is something people can relate to. They understand all the emotions of what's going on. She tells them, my parents aren't racist. And then she uses the example of because my dad said he would vote for Obama a third time, which is so racist. It's hilarious. <laughs> and it hilarious. Is, and that's one of the things about this movie, too, is that it has – and we'll talk about them as we go through here. But it has so many of these beats where it is a direct corollary to like a racist joke or yeah. a racist story or a thing that white people – uh, say to make them be like, I'm, see, I'm not racist because I like, right. you know, whatever. And that, so that trying to not be offensive, right? And you're just being so offensive, right? And and that actually speaks to one of the interesting themes of this movie in general because it is actually it's difficult, and they shine a light on this because you're so worried about being perceived as being racist that mm-hmm. you eventually end up being super offensive by trying not to be so just you know just let people be people but so they (laughs) they're on their way to on the way to meet the parents and as you see in the trailer although we're in spoilers now so it is what it is deer comes out and i I love this actually i want to we'll circle back to this on the end because at first it looks like the deer has been launched out of a cannon first of all yeah it (laughs) totally does they you know they hit the car they stop and the police comes up and is uh, asked to see her the id of chris and Rose is the one that's driving, and the cop tries to intimidate Chris, and she like shuts him down right away. Yeah. And they get back in the car. You're not gonna, you're not gonna. I'm gonna stand up for my man, kind of thing. Then they get to the to the house. They meet the parents, and they're immediately. We don't really hear a lot of the dialogue. The camera pulls out wide. We see a, a groundskeeper in the foreground, and families hugging, and they're welcome in. And then they have that first scene. Uh, Daniel, I don't know if you remember much about this first scene. It's where they're sitting there, and Bradley Whitford's character, the dad, starts talking about all the deer, and it's a good start. Right, and right. then he's just, like, super awkward. And that whole conversation, this is the first time where we realize that this isn't a normal horror movie because there's something off about everything in that scene. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, yeah totally. It's just, He's just being just weirdly murderous <laughs> just just <laughs> that's good you know, that's a good way to describe it yeah we're just you know let's kill all the deer it's just and you're immediately at least i was when i was in there i was trying to be like okay so he's he's a creepy murderer he hates deer so he obviously hates black people uh you right. know <laughs> so it was well just, and and it's analogous to uh a, a very racist joke which has been told throughout the years and it can be applied to any race but you could take that that what do you call a dead deer, right? Or a dead black mm-hmm. man or a dead Asian, a good start, right? 
And right, so right. the dad leads with that joke, quote unquote, about a deer. And you can see in Chris's reaction that, what? What did he say? Yeah. <laughs> right? Because there's just yeah. this weird, and he's like super enthusiastic. He tours him around the house. We learn that the mom is a psychiatrist. And we also learn in a little dinner scene later, uh, or a lunch scene later, that Chris is a smoker. He makes, uh, the dad makes the comment to Chris that, you know, my wife could hypnotize you and you'd never have to smoke again because it would make you, the thought of a cigarette would make you sick. And so he's like, no, no, that's all good. That's all fine. We meet the brother, the younger brother who shows up. And what an interesting performance. He acts like he's constantly high or drunk. So weird. And really aggressive. And his hair's all messed up. And it's like, it's very unique, you know, how he's playing that. So they get to the dinner table. There's a very awkward dinner scene where everybody is trying to, they're around eggshells. The brother's obviously confronting Chris with confronting Chris about trying to find things out about him, asking if he can fight, asking him if he likes MMA, you know, all these strange kind of questions. And then he looks at him and he says, with your genetic build or your genetic makeup, with a little exercise, you could be a beast. And it's just this, and then he tries to get up and wrestle with him. And it's this weird, weird dynamic of something is not Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That that that. Uh, I don't know who that actor is. Uh, who plays the brother? Uh, I guess Caleb Landry Jones. Yes. I guess yes. Is his name. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Just a really, like you said, interesting performance. Like, he's immediately villainous. It. That's just the theme of this whole movie. Just nothing is okay, but you don't know why. <laughs> right. Like uh, he, he was making these weird jokes and. Yeah, it was just all really off-putting. Yeah, and it feeds again into that theme of paranoia where everybody is out to get everybody, it seems, and you don't know who you can trust. And so it's set up in such a great way by Jordan Peele because even up to this point, even as off as everything is, or at least for me, I still very much believe that Rose was on his side and that she yeah, was totally. she was against the, her family and she was embarrassed and they were in love and this whole deal, which leads us to a scene where they're asleep. Chris goes out to get a smoke and then he meets the the groundskeeper and the maid who, who we've met in an earlier scene. She's staring in a mirror. Her eyes are crossed. The groundskeeper like runs at him full tilt like he's going to tackle him. You see it in the trailer and then he turns away. And it's just very odd. Uh, he goes inside and the mom is sitting there in the dark uh, and asks him to come in. And she begins to tap on this coffee cup or this teacup. And he's talking about how all the tricks they used to hypnotize people and how it won't work for him. And he's hypnotized, you know, like right away in a really eerie scene and he falls into the dark place, I believe is what they call it. Or the sunken, the place. sunken place. Yeah, that's it. The sunken place. Uh, all these crazy things start happening. And then he wakes up the next morning. He's been hypnotized. He no longer wants to do cigarettes. And so, but we think everything is back. Okay. Which leads to the weirdest dinner party ever. I had no idea what was going on. It was so Odd. Everybody was sizing up Chris right. the whole time. And just like uh, the whole I would have voted for Obama thing, it was just these mildly racist comments uh, that saying, hey, I like you because you're black, so I'm not a racist Being guy. Being black is it trendy. Was, uh, yeah, yeah. That mm-hmm. was so odd. You, so, had a, you had a white golfer who said I was a professional golfer, but I know Tiger. <laughs> right, know, yeah. That those was kinds hilarious. of things. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, I, I still had no idea what was going on. Uh, fast forward now, it really does seem as if everyone is sizing him up, looking at him, pointing at him. And then there's this strange scene where he's he's like, I just got to get out of here because he, he takes a camera phone and he flashes. He didn't know his flash was on, something we can all have you know dealt with <laughs> in the past. And he takes a picture of another black character who was there who's dressed like he's straight out of like 19... 40-ish, 30-ish, you know, kind of deal, and talks that way, and is just is acting very strange. He takes a picture, and the flash all of a sudden appears to have an effect on him. What what we learn now is it has woken him up. He comes over and tells him to get out, get out, and everybody, of course, freaks out, grabs him, pulls him away. So in an effort to kind of clear his head and try and figure out what in the world is going on, he goes down by the river with Rose. And then we see them playing uh, bingo, or what we think is bingo. And we very, in a, in a beautiful way with no dialogue, we very quickly see that they are actually bidding. Yeah. We, now, we still don't know why or how it works, but they're actually bidding on Chris. It, it, was, it was nuts. And the weirdest thing of all was that the brother is there watching the whole thing. And so I was so confused. I was like, why would the brother be in on it? but not Rose. And so I, I was trying to figure out what was going on. There's also a really interesting performance from Stephen Root there um, playing a blind yeah. art dealer. Yeah. Yeah, really, really weird scene. They come back from that, and we learn very quickly that he's had enough. He's got to get out of here. He gets a phone call from his buddy who who recognizes the picture of the gentleman that was dressed in the old attire as someone that they used to know, but he's been missing for six months. And so, and, and actually, that's how the film opens up, is right. him, him missing it. We don't know that at the time, but that's right. It, it starts off with an abduction. Very good, actually. A good abduction, too. They didn't use like a jump scare score kind of thing. It was just really, really, yeah. very well done. So at that point, he's like, I got to get out of here. So they try to leave, and Rose can't find the keys, which is typical trope. I can't find the keys, can't find the keys. He runs down the steps. The brother's blocking the door. They're, the dad has this weird monologue about what's your purpose. And then all of a sudden, Rose has the keys on her fingers, and she says, you know, I can't give you the keys, babe. And then he knows it's up. What At what point did you, did you realize Rose wasn't uh, actually in love with Chris. I thought that, and my wife, actually, I've got to give her credit too. I was about, about the time of the end of the dinner party is where I began to think Rose is probably in on this. Now, I was hoping that it wasn't the case because I was, I was hoping that certainly there'd be more to it than that. Like that'd be the big third act reveal. And I was happy to say that that wasn't the case. We learned it very early on, but my wife actually turned to me uh, mid-dinner party and said, Rose is in on this. There's no way. <laughs> so, yeah, good for her. Yeah, I did. I honestly, I was the same as you. I was like, no, she's got to be in love with him. She has to be. Yeah. So all the way up until she started searching for the keys, I was like, okay, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's in on it. And so at this point, the physical confrontation begins to happen between Chris and the brother. Mom taps the teacup and he passes out and they say, take him downstairs. Chris is back in the sunken place and not in control of his body. Which, let's talk about that for a second here. The sunken place, man, the design of that was so interesting, where it's like a a screen that he's flying away from, and it looked mostly practical. It looked very, very well done. Um, I thought it was super creepy and really an interesting way to do it. 
Yeah, and it's horrifying when you take that to its logical conclusion of what would that be like? Yeah. And it made me think about, you know, not to be too morose, but people that have had trauma or disease that are trapped in their own yeah. bodies where they're mentally they're mentally there but they can't control themselves and it's wow super claustrophobic yeah. and helpless but yes you're right from a design standpoint really cool interesting way to do it with it's almost like looking through an old television screen yeah. where you can see and hear but yeah i agree it was was really very well done so they take him down to the basement and it cuts back to now the search for yeah. so now walter his buddy back home is no something's up because he's been feeding his dog he's trying to find him and it cuts back in and we see that he's now tied up uh, our character chris is now tied up on a, a chair down in the basement and an old TV, a re- just cool set design, by the way. Yeah. This really neat room with a stag right in front of him. Yeah. And we see this television, and it comes on, and it's beginning to hypnotize him again and condition him psychologically to what is about to happen. And this is where we, we get the big reveal that this entire enterprise is set on this idea that uh, the children, the brother and the sister, bring back people to the family where the mom can hypnotize them, and then the dad, uh, they obviously are selling these bodies. The dad takes the part of the brain matter of an, a living person, transplants it into the young younger body, and since the younger bodies are pushed down into the sunken place, they don't control themselves, and the buyer, if you will, now takes control of the new body. Which is crazy. I mean, have you yeah, ever, I mean, what nuts. a cool concept. It was so complex. Um, like, I, I really did not expect this movie to be so complex and well thought out. And everything honestly made sense. Like, it all worked yeah. for me. I loved it. Yeah, it was really, really well done. And it doesn't spoon feed you. I mean, it just you just yeah. have to figure it out. This is what's happening. He has been purchased by the blind art dealer, played by Stephen Root, and he wants him for his sight because uh, Chris is a photographer and he never had the eye for it. You had this whole thing. And so what what happens is we begin this whole process of him, of Chris, going to, to sleep, if you will, when he's hypnotized and then waking up. He has a conversation with this art dealer who essentially tells him, I did this because I want your sight. At that point, Chris, who's had this habit of scratching his fingers consistently throughout the entire movie, has scratched the ends of, a t- of the chair off and he sees some fuzz. So he packs his ears. That was genius. Genius. Absolutely genius. He packs his ears. The next time the teacup comes on to hypnotize him, he fakes as if he goes out, which leads to what I was going to say about seeing this movie with a packed house. Yeah. Which yeah. is this movie is it's a tailor-made revenge flick kind of thing because so this guy poor guy has been beaten down at every <laughs> turn by these awful awful people and you just want him to take them out. And boy, does he get a chance <laughs> to do that. Yeah, when he when he uh, took that croquet ball and smashed in the brother was yep. amazing. Because I was also – I didn't get what he was doing with the fuzz. Uh, I didn't oh, – I, I got it right away. I got it right I away. I did not. That, that caught me. Uh, I was like, is he trying to – 
get out of the of the arm restraints somehow. I, di- I didn't catch it. And and so when he pulls out the, the earplugs and then smashes the brother with the croquet ball, that was incredible. Yes, it was. Uh, My audience cheered. <laughs> yeah, same, same. It was amazing. And then and then the stag, which I love the the like you had mentioned before the whole the the theme of the deer kind of runs throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I love how he. Just like the dad at the beginning was making those jokes about the deer, then he gets that dad gum deer came back and got him. <laughs> yeah, it it was great. It was a great sequence. You know, he, he gets the mom. She goes for a teacup and he knocks it off, and she tries to stab him. It goes through his hand, and he actually drives his hand straight through the knife and then kills her. Uh, escapes again after fighting off the brother, and then the sister comes out with a hunting rifle. Again, the theme with the hunting and the deer. On his way out, the maid throws herself in front of the car, although we don't know that she's thrown herself in front of the car. And there's been this running storyline for Chris where his mother was killed by a hit and run. And when he was young, like 10 or 11, and he stayed at home watching TV instead of calling the police because he was afraid that if he called the police, he knew something would be bad. We do learn that she was hit and left on the side of the road. And had he called the police, she may have survived. So that guilt complex comes back to him again because he hasn't put two and two together that this who may be inside the maid character and so he puts her in the car which is great it was so great because it's immediately intense again because as the as they drive away the girl uh rose says grandma which immediately puts you at ease because they're in this very small car all of a sudden they're driving down the road he chris thinks that he's free and then she turns over with this super creepy look and says, you ruined my house and like grabs the steering wheel and runs them into a car or excuse me, runs him into a tree. So it opens up and the grandma character is now dead. And one thing that my wife picked up on, it was really smart, is that. That's why all these people that have had this procedure are always wearing hats because they have this massive scar where they've had the brain oh, operation. Yeah. And so I, did, I didn't even pick that up. And Laura was like, that's why Neither they're always I. wearing hats. I was like, look at you. Look at you. It was good. That's great. So grandma's dead. And all of a sudden, the side view mirror gets shot off by the hunting rifle. And Rose is there again. Yeah. So so Rose catches up and has the, the rifle. And then, and then the grandpa, too, or who now we know is the grandpa, Rose runs up and tackles Chris and I loved the whole thing. Chris used his phone to to fly he didn't have a weapon on him, but he had his phone. And yep. so he, he, he uses his he takes a picture of him and the flash kinda wakes wakes the guy up. Uh, and so he backs away for a second and he he shoots Rose, which we did I did not see coming at all. Yeah. Uh, and then and then kills himself. Shoots which Rose was and then nuts. kills himself. And then one of the biggest subversions, you know, we've talked a lot about how Peel is always trying to subvert our expectations is cop car pulls up. Oh, and this is this was, and this was what amazing. I wanted to talk about. The the very first thing where the deer comes out and the cop comes up and is very racist and all this stuff. Cop car pulls up, Chris puts his hands up in the air, and we're all waiting for him to be shot and to fall down. Everyone in the theater knows or thinks they know what's about to happen. Everyone. Everybody knows because we're conditioned. We're conditioned, number one, by horror film tropes. But number two, to take it – let's just take it a step deeper. 
as black people, yep. which they have rung this bell a lot, they are conditioned to believe that when a police shows up, nothing good can happen. So we're yep. all just waiting on the other shoe to drop. And then it and shows. Rose, yeah, go ahead. Rose is crying for help, too. Yeah, she's she she's says help. looking like the victim. Yep. And, <laughs> she oh, says help. And we're all just like, oh, no, this is going to end. No, this is, no, not after all this. And yep. the door says airport. <laughs> And that it's was his, amazing. It was so awesome. And his buddy oh, Walter hops out and he's like, TSA. And so he gets him and he saves him and he asks him. And what I loved about this too is that Chris asked him just straight up. He's like, how did you find me? Because I was thinking, how did he find him? But in the <laughs> middle of all that, his answer was perfect. And he was like, I'm the TS MFing A. And we get stuff <laughs> done. And it's just perfect and hilarious. That's um, one of the best endings to a movie I've seen in a long time. Yes. That was so good. It was so good. It was so good. So he gets away, and it appears that Rose's character dies. We don't know for sure, but it, it certainly appears that, that she did, in fact, die. Uh, and he gets away, and the movie ends. And I, I loved that it, it just ended there. It yep. didn't try to do this whole wrap-up or yep. Chris living his life or yep. anything. It just... The story was over. It didn't try to belabor the point. Yeah, and it goes to the Get Out title card. People are clapping. and So, you know, overall, I I think, again, we just have to say that the the themes that it explores, the really razor-sharp dialogue, the compelling storyline throughout combined with performances, and good legitimate horror movie scares – all equal to an equation that has come out to a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. To yeah. I, I can't imagine anybody not liking this movie. It's fun. It's entertaining. It's thrilling. And it's not dumb. It's not dumb. I'm no, not I'm hoping that Hollywood is finally starting to pay, pay notice to these smaller films that can make a lot of money if they won't pander to the lowest common denominator. So, yeah. again, overall, I think huge, huge win. I'm certainly interested to see what uh, Jordan does next, and uh, I would highly, highly recommend everybody go see this movie. Daniel, anything else from you to wrap it up? No, I think it was fantastic, really complex and surprising. Uh, You definitely need to see this movie. I agree, Daniel. Great stuff. So with that, guys, let's move to our second bonus review of Kong Skull Island. These are photos of an island in the South Pacific. The place where myth and science meet. Use explosives to shake the earth, helping us to map the surface of the island. You're dropping bombs. Mm, scientific instruments. I see trouble on the way. Is that a monkey? a good group of boys. We're all going to die together out here. <laughs> you shouldn't have come here. The IMDb description reads, a team of scientists explore an uncharted island in the Pacific, venturing into the domain of the mighty Kong, and must fight to escape a primal Eden. Kong Skull Island directed by Jordan Valk Roberts, uh, stars Tom Hiddleston, Sam Jackson, Brie Larson, and a ton of other people. Uh, I'm not going to read them all. Crazy cast. And- crazy cast and uh as we're recording this podcast it just celebrated it's number one at the box office this week um it's making a decent amount of money huge budget for this movie of course so it's gonna be a little harder than get out to make its money back but Mm -hmm. it's still doing all right 
uh, as we get into our review here, tell me what you think of previous Kong films and uh, the most recent Godzilla, because this is actually the second entry in a new, they're calling a MonsterVerse, which I think right. they could have been a little more creative there, <laughs> but uh, that's fine. So this is the second entry in a MonsterVerse, uh, with Godzilla being the first movie from 2014. And leading up to eventually a Kong versus Godzilla movie. So spoiler alert, Kong doesn't die here. Yeah, so tell me your relationship with those movies and then what you think of Kong Skull Island. Well, Daniel, I am old enough to remember the original Kong, King Kong, which I think came 1933. out in 1933, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I do what I do. My first real experience with a King Kong movie um, would have probably been Peter Jackson's King Kong. I made the mistake of seeing that movie on opening night at a 12.30 midnight <laughs> showing after a long day. And so I was super sleepy, and I liked some elements of that movie, but like most people, I don't, I didn't think it was great. So coming into this one, I didn't have any particular affinity for King Kong. I will say, and I've said it on this podcast a million times, the trailer for the 2014 Godzilla movie is one of my favorite trailers just from a cinematic experience as far as just like the composition and the beauty of the images, uh, maybe ever. It's in my top five for sure. And yeah. so I'm a fan of Gareth Edwards. I loved his movie Monsters, which is what directly led to him getting Godzilla. But the movie itself, Godzilla, left me a little cold and distant. I'm not sure why I didn't mm -hmm. love it. I admired it, but it wasn't what I wanted it to be. So let me back up from that statement. It's not just that it wasn't what I wanted it to be. It just didn't connect with me in the way that I think they hoped that it would. Um, I liked it, but I didn't love it. So going into this one, I just didn't have a ton of expectations one way or the other. The trailers looked great. I thought it was going to be very interesting to see a Kong of that size and that scale uh, and how that was going to work out. Understanding that this was part two, quote unquote, of the MonsterVerse and, and all that. He had to be that big if he's going to fight Godzilla. So with this movie, my feelings on it are complicated. On the one hand, it has some visual imagery that I think is breathtaking and stellar. I think it has some action set pieces that are really fantastic. The blocking, the absurdity of what you are seeing, the design of the creatures, and the, the way that they interact with this world is, is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's really, really very, very good. However... I left this movie, since we're talking overall before we get into spoilers, with just a general apathy. Is that fair of me to say? I didn't, and I understand that this isn't a serious movie, so when I say this, it's going to sound you know, different than what I mean it, but I just didn't feel connected to the story or the characters in any substantial way except for John C. Riley's character, <laughs> who I thought was fantastic. Now, I love the way that this movie opened. We can talk about it in the spoilers. I thought that opening scene where, with the pilots, I'll leave it at that, was great, and what a great way to set it up. But everything after that just felt very rote, and by the numbers, um, the characters, although there were a lot of them... Um, or maybe because there are a lot of them, just never, for me, I just never really connected or cared a lot about any of them, and which is, which is really saying something because this cast is off the charts. I, yeah. mean, I mean, great actors all around. I don't think there are any bad performances. I think it's probably poorly written, 
And, and part of that is maybe by necessity because there are so many characters here. But I think ultimately it kept me from just being like, oh man, this is the greatest. Because it was just such a slog for me dealing with just the actions of the people. Like I didn't understand their motivations or necessarily why they were doing some of the things they did. And they're certainly tropey for sure. And that's okay. I can get behind genre filmmaking. I really can, which is why I like this movie. So let me leave it at that. I really did like this movie. I think that the original Godzilla and this one as set up for what comes next has me hopeful and excited for that. But I still wasn't able to say, you know, man, and it's, it's not fair to compare it because it's a completely different movie. But even from like Get Out and Logan, you know, the last two movies that I saw, I left those movies with a sense of like full heart completion, well-told story. And this one was more of just like an exercise in universe building for me. So, I, But I still liked it because there is so much good in the action and the the design of the character the creatures kong is spectacular looks awesome so yeah. i don't know what i mean daniel you you typically like things more than me so <laughs> is that true here i'm a liker of liking things <laughs> yeah yes. i hear you so uh yeah so so i'll back up and give kind of my hit my thoughts on previous king kong movies and godzilla i think i might be in the minority i love peter jackson's king kong That's i fair. think it's a I think it's a fantastic movie. I dare say it's a uh, it's a masterpiece. I think it is. Fantastic. See, see, Daniel, you set it up just right, and then you have to just cross the line. It's like it's not just La La Land. It should always be La La Land, and it's like I don't just like King Kong. It's a masterpiece. Okay, it, okay. It's close. To, I said I dare say it's close. I, you know, I like it a lot. I okay. love it a lot. All right. I think it is. Um, but it's so different from this movie, right? It's that that is a sweeping epic drama, right. really. Yes, and um, and that is not what Kong Skull Island is at all. No. Um, and then Godzilla, I feel pretty much exactly the same way you did, Chad. I I, I liked Godzilla, but it was kind of inexplicable why I didn't love it. It just kind of was like, oh, okay, you yeah. know, that was was a movie. So yeah. so that said, last year when we were recording our top ten films of 2015. When I was listing Mad Max Fury Road as my favorite movie of the year, right. I said that I hoped Mad Max, just like The Matrix and, and many others before it, would change the way movies are made. Are and you about to attribute this movie to Mad yes, Max? Yes, 100%. <laughs> I feel like that's undeniable. Kong Skull Island is is so reminiscent of Mad Max Except in so many ways. Except they were probably ways. in post-production when Mad Max was released, but whatever. That is not true at all. <laughs> May of 2015... No, actually, no, I'm looking at it right now. Photography began on this film after Mad Max was released in theaters. Okay. Principal photography began on October 19th, 2015. So there, Chad. In my face. All right. You win, Daniel. <laughs> I bow to you. So anyway, so yeah, so that is why I love this movie so much. First and foremost, this movie is freaking beautiful. No it, doubt. That is I agree with that. Beautiful. We agree with that. Yeah. And not just beautifully filmed. It is beautifully filmed. Um, but just the style of the vibe of this movie is so cool. Like just even from the way text is displayed on the screens, it's like a paintbrush. It just looks awesome. Yeah, and I so I, I had a blast watching this movie just because it was so cool. It was so beautiful and, and a lot of fun. 
that's the that's the key thing here. This movie is a freaking monster movie. This is no drama. This is this knows what it is. It's a blockbuster kaiju just bonkers monster movie. Because the movie it felt like it knew how fun it needed to be. I had a blast watching it. I right. had so much watching this movie um i felt like it knew what it was and then of course you've got john c Riley's character who makes every scene he's in so much much. no doubt um so i loved this movie now i can't really argue too much about the story problems that it has I'll, i'll totally give you that it does have a lot of story problems there are far too many characters in this movie and they're all great like all the characters i think i i think i'm right in saying all the characters have have some unique thing about them uh that that make them stand out the cast but, is doing a great job with what they have been given there's no doubt yeah i agree yeah that's a good way of saying it and so like sam jackson's character well i don't want to get into too many spoilers i'll just say i don't follow his motivations in this movie uh really at all um even though he's doing a great job i, I understand didn't really... his motivations i just don't think they gave that character time to adequately develop those yeah, motivations totally. so that we cared about it it's totally weak and so, so really, the reason I love this movie is just because it's monsters ripping people to shreds and and <laughs> looking beautiful while doing it. So it does. It's it's an imperfect movie, but for what it is, I think this accomplished its goal and 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 looked freaking fly doing it. So I really loved this movie. Um, I definitely, absolutely think you need to see this in theaters. It will absolutely lose something when you go to Blu-ray. It'll for still sure. look great. It'll still be beautiful, but this is a theater movie for sure. Um, Chad, what do you think about going to see it in theaters? Yeah, I think you definitely – you nailed it. This movie will lose a lot in translation when you watch it at home. Now, it'll still be fine, but this is the kind of movie you need to see on the biggest screen possible. And I would recommend that you do it. I don't want to come across too negative here because I did enjoy this movie a lot. It's worth it for – if it were only the action set pieces, it's totally worth yeah. seeing. I mean this movie starts in um, – well, we'll save that for spoilers. Let's just so my general thoughts is that yes, you should see it. You should see it in the theater. Now it's violent, so it's not a kids King Kong, yeah. and it's it's violent in like unexpectedly <laughs> gruesome ways, which is cool, which is really good uh, and interesting. But it is definitely it earns that PG thirteen. You should see this in the theater for sure. And I don't if if you at all like action or. Like this is the kind of movie – let me just go ahead and, and forecast it in the future and Chris isn't here to defend it. But <laughs> this is the kind of movie that Michael Bay would massacre. I mean like <laughs> the new Transformers, yes. whatever it is, The Last Night or whatever. When we watch that because there are equivalent creatures um, in yeah. scale battling here, you don't know what's going on. And I'm just guessing – again, I'm going to give it a fair shake, but it's probably going to be terrible. This is order of magnitude better than that. So it's yeah. it's worth – and it's worth noting too i don't know if you mentioned it that this director uh jordan vaught roberts this is his first like major feature he's done some yeah. indie stuff so i think they're trying to follow in that marvel mold of giving some auteurs these big franchises and i think overall it, it paid off yeah did you see kings of summer his first uh feature film i feel like i did but i don't remember it so maybe not it was great. It was a lot of fun. It was uh, it was vastly different from this movie, but it was a great movie. And then also his next movie is Metal Gear Solid, based on oh, the video yeah. game series. Yeah. Have you played those games at all? I have. I played them when they when you before you were born. I haven't <laughs> played the most recent versions, but Chris is a hardcore Metal Gear fan. 
Yeah, I've I've only played. I actually just a couple months ago I played the latest one, and uh, man, I could not get into it because it's so bonkers and weird. <laughs> but it seems like he's a great pick for the director, so yeah, yeah. that'll be interesting to see. Before we move into spoilers, uh, I wanted to go back to my statement about Mad Max. How in the world would you disagree about what I was saying about Mad Max inspiring this movie? Because Mad Max is a good movie. Oh my oh, gosh! I'm just kidding. Well. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I guess for me, I'd have to understand exactly how you're suggesting that it influenced it. Just in the spectacle or in the nonstop yeah. action, minimal. I mean, what, what are you? What are you? Yeah, thinking? I mean, not that movies before Mad Max didn't do this, but just the the overemphasis on beautiful artistic shots, like. Um, the scene where they're throwing green smoke grenades all over the place, and it's just it's just gorgeous. Gorgeous. It's like a it's like a painting. Right. Um, and so this kind of overemphasis on style. Uh, style. Sure. Um, and so I don't know. I just as I was watching it, I felt I just kept thinking back to to the beautiful shots. Even there's a shot that almost looks exactly like Mad Max. In Mad Max, there's a scene where they're driving into the storm in the desert, and it cuts to this super wide shot of them approaching this storm, right. and they do the exact same <laughs> yeah, shot here do. in Kongsville Island. Um, so especially okay. things like that definitely reminded from, me of it. From but, a style um, standpoint, I'll, I'll yeah. definitely give you that for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. all I mean. I don't mean any in any other way than that. Yeah, that's fair. That's um, good. That's an astute observation. Yeah, I'll give you that for sure. So, alright, so unless there's anything else, we'll move into spoilers. You're listening to the Screeners Podcast. Yeah, you you touched on it. That opening shot is just incredible. It's crazy. Uh, The the shot of the sun. That's one of the best opening shots I've seen (laughs) in a long time. Just this, it's a shot of the sun and it's holding on it for just a few minutes and you're you're hearing some weird noise that you don't know what it is. And then all of a sudden, this flailing body is flying at you, at you, the camera. That was incredible. I love that whole construct of that opening sequence with the two pilots, you know, one from Japan, one from America, and they they know they're stranded alone on that island, and they're lucky to survive, and it's, should I kill you, should I not kill you, and then they begin shooting and fighting, and then all, you know, they go through the jungle, and then Kong, his massive hand comes up, and then he pulls his head up, and then it cuts to opening title card, and then we're off. I thought that was just a great way, and when that happened, I was like, oh, oh. Okay, this yeah. is that kind of movie. This is going to be great. And then we spent the next ten or fifteen minutes trying to introduce all the characters, and I was like, "Oh man." Yeah, yeah. As I was, I was looking at this to kind of recap the beginning of the movie. There's just not much to say. It's really just intro this character, intro this character, and it's just it is kind of bland. I'll totally give you that. They they have this whole setup of you know John Goodman's character uh, along with Corey Hawkins. I don't remember their character names. Sorry. They are just they're they're trying to investigate this random island in the middle of the Pacific. So they convince this group of Marines or or whatever they are to kind of kind of escort them to to this random island in the Pacific and. Uh, it really gets muddled down with all these characters. Um, I, I, I don't really remember specifically anything about them all, but eventually they get there and they're just going to kind of bomb the place. And Yeah, uh, yeah and it's strange, you know, because Samuel L. Jackson, we see him looking at, and this is a perfect example of the terrible writing. So, like, he's in, he's obviously a commander or a captain of some sort of regiment. The Vietnam War has just ended. And all these people are going to be coming home, but they take this one last mission, and it cuts to a shot of him in his office looking at the medals and the different things from the war. And he literally says out loud, what was it all for? You know, yeah, that I mean, was it's, pretty bad. It's just stuff, it's <laughs> stuff like that. 
the idea where they're trying to set him up as a guy who isn't complete unless he's in the middle of the fight, you know, uh, which you understand because it's a trope. But for me, it was also stuff like perfect example is the Tom Hiddleston character. Like, I like the way that they introed him. He's playing pool and these two guys are trying to jump him and he just demolishes them very quickly and he looks super cool while doing it. And then he gets introduced as like the greatest tracker ever and you'll pay me five times my fee and all this stuff to go. But then when we actually get to the island, and I'm not trying to jump ahead of you, Daniel, but he never is—he never seems like anything <laughs> special. He's just like yeah, the dude running around. I'm like, I thought this was the guy. I mean, he does yeah. get that one moment, the, yeah, the slow yeah. samurai sword later. But it's just this movie doesn't – it just didn't – it wasn't interested enough in the characters. Like if they had spent a little more – Reduced the character count by yes. 10 and spent more time developing those characters to go along with the action, which is incredible. This movie could have been a home run. Yeah, I totally agree. And same same thing with uh, same thing with Brie Larson's character. Yeah. Um, she's just kind of there and uh, not in like a, a lame female badly written character. You know, it's just she just. She just is. Uh, just has no reason to be there. Yeah. She's just there because she kind of convinced them to let her go, and you don't know why. She's just a photojournalist, and yep. it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. So that was disappointing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so so they start dropping bombs. Um, basically, they for whatever reason uh, they they are saying that the ground is hollow, and they need a bomb to kind of wake wake up the island or whatever they're talking about. We have our first major action scene here, which was oh, incredible. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, man, when he is swatting these helicopters like flies, I mean, it is nuts. We see Kong rising up in the middle of the sun, and, uh, man, it was just an amazing scene. That's where this movie shines, is all of these set pieces. This opening set piece was wonderful. I mean, it's really, yeah. really very good. And it sets the chess pieces because at this point I still came back. I was really disappointed in how everything was set up and because I was like, I'm just not going to care about any of this. And then after this, I thought, okay, they've set the table now. We've got this group over here, this group over here, and they're all – they're, you know, they're MacGuffin to get them to where they need to go. But this is going to be really interesting. And unfortunately it wasn't as much for me, but it was still still thrilling. Yeah, so after the whole scene where Kong attacks all the helicopters, um, it it splits up the group, right? And so they're all kind of spread out over the island, and they need to get to this uh, exfiltration point, except Sam Jackson just decides that he wants to kill kill Kong instead. Um, And and for me, it felt about as simple as that. Like, it was just kind of like, he's pissed that his men died, and so I need to take revenge on Kong, which you know, is fine, but it was just kind of weak. Yeah. You know? I think they wanted um, us to think that he was going insane. Like, th- like experiencing yeah. that had made him just unplug from reality and become singularly focused on this one last thing to complete him. I think maybe, that's what they wanted to do, but it didn't work. Yeah. Maybe that would have worked if that didn't just seem like Sam Jackson at all times. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he just, he well, always kind of seems... To be fair, Sam Jackson off. is always Sam Jackson at all <laughs> That's times. what I'm saying. So, like, uh, you know, maybe if he wasn't playing this... He played the character the same way throughout the whole movie, I felt like. So, yeah, I didn't feel like he was going crazy. I just felt like he yeah. was just pissed, which, you know, yeah, it's whatever. That's fair. Uh, but, yeah, once they all get spread out, um, because of the kind of weak writing, I kind of started to forget who was where. I, yeah. I, I like, I, at one point, I forgot who John Goodman was with. I was like, wait, is he with the, them? Is he with right. Sam Jackson? I didn't remember. So that kind of gets a little messy. 
So eventually, they see these other people are on the these natives are on this island, and they're about to get killed. You know, classic scene. They're about to get killed by the natives, and then out comes John C. Riley to save. Thank God to save the, the movie, movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as well as their lives. And so, yeah, John C. Riley is having the time of his life in this role. He's he's kind of lost his mind because he's been on this island for like thirty yeah, or forty you years. Yeah, he's the you oh yeah, say he's yeah. the American pilot who survived from the opening scene. Yes. And he's so been on he, this island for 28 years or whatever it was. Exactly. And so being on the island that long with these natives who he can't really communicate too well with them, uh, he's kind of lost his mind. He is hilarious. And he, he kind of explains the island to them. He explains that Kong is the king of the island and he's God to them uh, and that he's actually he's not the villain. He is he's saving them from the real monsters and so then we get into these skull crawlers what did you think about those skull crawlers i like the design of the skull crawlers i thought they were interesting and certainly ferocious i love the line which is in the trailer where he says i call them skull crawlers and he's like (laughs) i've never said it out loud it sounds terrible now that i say that you call them what you want to you know it's just those moments you know john c Riley is is absolutely hilarious and he brings a much needed element of uh Life because the movie was really kind of dragging at that point, but uh, I thought the skull crawlers were fantastic. And I can, while we're talking about it too, I think the creature design in general in this movie is fantastic. I mean, there's a yeah. phenomenal scene with a big spider that they're having oh, yeah. that they're underneath that they have to kill. There are these strange bird creatures. There is this like. I don't know, almost like a locust kind of thing that can camouflage itself like a log. Yeah. So and, and, and so the, water buffaloes, yeah, and water buffaloes and a massive stuff. squid kind of thing in the lake. All of that stuff just looks looks phenomenal. I thought as a an enemy for Kong, they were certainly worthy because they keep saying as long as they're little, Kong can handle them. But there's the big one. Yeah, yeah, same. I I, I agree. I thought the the creature design as a whole was fantastic, and that's what I'm saying. This movie is just it's not interested in 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 making a lot of sense. It's just like, hey, here's a bunch of crazy monsters. Just enjoy it. That's and true. so I I loved the skull crawlers. I thought they were nuts and and decently scary too. Yeah, um, ferocious. So, yeah, absolutely. So eventually, John C. Riley shows them this boat that he has tried to to build over the years with all these plane parts and things. And so they take take off down the river, I guess you would call it, mm-hmm. and they're kind of uh, they're aiming for this exfiltration point at the other side of the island, which of course he ominously describes that there are that, that they're not going to make it basically. Right. Yeah. So meanwhile, as they're taking off with this boat, uh, Sam Jackson and his crew have, you know, like we were saying, he's kind of singularly focused on killing kong even though you know um the other characters are kind of explaining we don't have to go that way we don't have to go that way he says no i'm chasing kong which didn't work for me but you know whatever yeah so um because what's he gonna do to him exactly but he actually it actually sets up this really great set piece where they they try to trap kong using all this uh it was oil or gas or something um and and kind of poured it in the water and lit lit the water on fire lighting kong on fire and it was Pretty an awesome scene uh, where they almost get Kong there. Almost um, getting mad is really all it did. Yes, <laughs> well, that's right. true. That's true. Uh, but it was really a, a, actually an excellent scene. Yeah. And yeah. And so that's that's pretty much it. And they they make it to the exfiltration point and and they they get out and and that's kind of it. Um, so the one thing we can never fault is even though how they get to these set pieces 
uh, is really weak. Every single set piece, for me at least, is a win. I mean, I, I didn't think any of them ever failed. Like, the action is 100% uh, fantastic from beginning to end. I totally agree with that, 100%. Yeah, this you come to this movie for these set pieces. Yeah. Now, if whatever people are and now here's the thing it's got like a 80 i don't know 80 something percent on rotten yeah. tomatoes so it's people are really responding to it critic critics are really responding to it michael phillips who is one who is probably my favorite living film critic and he's very particular he gave this three and a half out of four stars i don't understand you michael what's happened <laughs> um so this is working for a lot of people and i think it's just because it's so self-assured yeah, in what it wants to be, and it and it does it. It's not interested in the humans; it's interested in the monsters. And so, if you can get by that, you're probably going to love this movie. And I think maybe that you know, I actually haven't watched Godzilla. It's 2014 Godzilla since it came out, so I've only watched it one time in theaters, and that's it. Yeah. Um. So I I don't fully remember, but maybe that's a little bit what went wrong with with that movie is that it wasn't interested in being fun. Or being just about the monsters, right. it was trying trying to be more than that. It and, was definitely and I don't pretty really... serious for sure. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so it'll be interesting to see these two things mesh because the last movie Godzilla was not not in the same vein as this one, and not even in the same time period. So that's another interesting aspect. Um, which leads us to the post credit scene. Did you stay for the credits? Absolutely. Yeah. And so in the credits. Uh, Everybody's back, uh, we assume, you know, in America or wherever, um, and they're kind of being interrogated. A lot of the main characters are being interrogated about their experiences, and it's revealed that Kong is not the only monster uh, on Earth. Uh, there are other, there are like cave paintings depicting a lot of other monsters, including, of course, Godzilla, and you hear the the legendary shriek of Godzilla. Yeah, What'd it was... Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, you, you've got pictures of Mothra and, and all these other famous creatures, and then it actually cuts to black, and then you hear the, the Godzilla roar from the 2014 movie, and yeah. it was fantastic. I mean, it's hard not to be excited about the potential of those two beasts going at it. I just hope that going forward, if this is going to be a monster verse, because the gimmick of seeing there's only so big that you can make these creatures until yeah. it's diminishing returns, they're going to have to care a little bit more about the human characters for me to be personally invested in it but just as pure spectacle pieces it, it it's a high quality uh, product that they're putting out i mean it's exciting it's setting up future things that are going to get people excited uh the audience that i saw this movie with was certainly i mean they were cheering and clapping and mm-hmm. they were in it so yeah you know it's just mass consumption popcorn for the masses there you go yeah. so yeah yeah, and I think that's another thing. I, I imagine uh, that well, they're doing a Godzilla two, which comes out I think next year, if I'm not wrong, if I'm not mistaken, and then eventually Kong versus Godzilla, and I would imagine that has to be set in present day, not in the 70s. Right. And so uh, maybe that's why we don't care so much about these characters. We're not. I assume we're not going to see any of these characters again. I don't know. Maybe that's a contributing factor. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But, I mean, you never know. I mean, th- there are ways they could write around it, I think. I mean, you, it'd be hard for me to understand why they would have Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson and yeah. those kinds of characters um, if they're not setting them up long term. But you never know. I mean, this movie had a lot of guts. I mean, it killed off John Goodman, killed yeah. off Samuel L. Jackson. It killed off a lot of the characters early that you thought were going to have larger roles going forward and then, like, 
40 minutes in, man, they're dead. Overall, let me let me just say it. It's fine, people. It's fine. <laughs> Go see it. It's got great action spectacle. And uh, I don't think it has a lot on its mind as far as themes of it's like nature versus man or whatever. Maybe I guess you could get there if you worked really hard. But overall, uh, it's just a fun, it's just a fun kind of silly monster movie. Yeah. Uh, and I like it even more than that. I think it is a lot of fun. Great movie. I don't deny it's poorly written, but uh, it is a lot of fun to watch. I left the movie super excited and uh, amped up. I thought it was great. So, unless there's anything else, no? That's it. So that was Kong, Skull Island, and Get Out. Hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. We will be back next week with all of the screeners to talk about Beauty and the Beast. So, as always, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at ScreenersCast, and we love to hear from you. We want to know what you guys thought of Get Out and Kong, Skull Island. Vindicate me, tell them how fun Kong was, because it's a great freaking movie. And we'll see you next time. It's always that extra step, Daniel. It's super fun. A great freaking movie. See, it's always that extra step. <laughs> well, I've got to take it where I take it, you know? You take it. you got to take it there. <laughs> All right. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to screenerspodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time. <laughs>